Welcome to our listeners today. Um, I'm Georgia Alice, and thank you for joining me as we explore yet another rabbit hole together. And I can't wait to get curious uh, with today's guest, Jessica Hickman. So Jessica is the founder of Bullyology and Upstand Academy. After arriving in Australia and through a three-year personal ordeal with workplace bullying, Jessica empowered herself to become a dynamic activist and advocate in the field of bullying, mental health and positive workplace relationships. She delivers practical solutions for workplaces with expertise across multiple industries uh, in the public and private sector. She provides targeted keynote addresses on subjects that include workplace bullying, gender equality, corporate culture, mental health, resilience, and I'm sure there's so much more that she does as well. So let's get curious. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. And you've um, such a great bio and some things there that we're definitely going to have to delve, delve into. And I'm sure you can add a lot of value to our listeners here today. So my first yeah. question that I ask all of my guests is in the theme of Alice in Wonderland. And I want you to imagine that I'm a seven, eight-year-old Alice and I'm just skipping my way through Wonderland. I've opened up, I've come out of the, the rabbit hole and I bump into you. And I said, Jessica, who are you? What do you do? How would you explain your mission in life and what you're doing to a seven-year-old girl? Oh, um, so look, my mission and the core belief that I have is kindness. So I operate on compassion, respect, and really work to empower people to have a better quality of life, whether that's in personal life or business success. And um, so I'm here to spread a message of hope and kindness and also educate people on the damaging effects of toxic behaviours and how it can impact personal and business success, I guess. Yeah, beautiful. I think the world needs a little bit of that compassion and ki kindness right now. So are you able yeah. to tell us a little bit about uh, your story? So you arrived here in Australia and, you know, we're detecting an accent there. So are you like able yeah. to share the background around how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. So I'm from Wales. Um, so I came over in 2013. So I was 23 years old. I wanted a career break. So my background in the UK was I used to work for the local government. So I was a youth worker. So from the age of 14, I kind of been mentored without knowing I was mentored at the time into a position. I've always had a deep um, really understanding or need to do social impact work. So I was always volunteering, helping out in the local community. Um, so yeah, I was a youth worker. So by the age of 23, I was running two youth drop-in centres across different communities, um, empowering youth to be the best version of themselves, teaching a lot of stuff like bullying, drugs, sexual health. Absolutely loved that. 
So that was part-time evening work when the youths had finished school. Um, so I were also worked full-time as office manager, uh, working in the construction industry actually. And so by the age of 23, I was in two management positions, kind of at the top of my game, I would say, for my age. Just but also had studied my youth and community degree. Wasn't really sure where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. So came to Australia, three months turned into what am I now on my seventh year. Um, but when I arrived in the country, I kind of fell in love with the people, the country, of course, this is amazing. And um, so I traveled around for a while. Uh, but yeah, I was lucky enough then to be offered a job, which was the best and worst thing that ever happened to me. So the company that offered me a position was a large global company. And I was offered a position there to be HR, which was really cool. I didn't have a HR background, but I had office management and kind of a use and you know insights. So it was on the job training, which was amazing because overnight I'd gone from living in hostels, backpacking around carefree, to being overnight in Perth in a corporate position, company car, apartment, so and the whole world ahead of me, um, which was amazing. So I, I'd done that for three months, but then I got posted to Darwin to work on a large oil and gas project. That's when my life changed massively. Okay, so talk to us more if you're willing to. So what were some of these yeah. massive changes? So it sounds like you were living an amazing life, you know, got your independence, um, yeah. financially stable. And so now you moved to Darwin. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's where I kind of, yeah that, that's where I kind of the story um, takes a, a twist. So when I arrived in Darwin, um, anyone that's been or lived in Darwin thinks it's red dirt and crocodiles. It pretty much is. But there's an amazing quality of life there. It was, I found so much happiness when I first moved to Darwin. The people were laid back. It was great. I was earning exceptional money. Um, so if you can imagine, it was an oil and gas project. Um, between 7,000, sometimes maybe 10,000 people, construction workers, pre predominantly male-dominated environment, of course, it's construction. Um, so I was kind of planted there, one of the first people for my company. So there was 32 other companies all working in close proximity, trying to build an oil and gas plant, um, break it right down. So day one on the job there, uh, there was this buzzword and it was suicide. And it was delivered in an induction, uh, particularly around HR. We needed to mitigate risk. Um, and it was particularly around men and suicide in the industry. So I heard for the first time the stats and the rates of men's mental health in Australia, particularly in the fly-in, fly-out industry. Mm. So what I quickly learned that my workforce I was responsible for were going to be living in camps for a month at a time, away from family and friends and livelihoods, the poor communication, working high risk, um, you know, the humidity, the heat, the stress, over crocodile infested waters, everything you could think about, about being in a high stress environment, we were confronted with it. So I made a commitment to myself that day, right, I can use my youth work experience and bring the nurturing relationship building uh, principles to every engagement I have there. So I spent the first six months just walking around in, in a minion suit, hard hat, glasses, uh, walking around to, to the guys, particularly men, um, just saying, hey, how are you going? What are some of the things um, 
that you're going through. So it took me a while, like anything, building relationships. If you can imagine uh, a young Welsh female standing in front of a big Kiwi and Aussie, Aussie scaffolder saying, let's talk about mental health. It didn't happen overnight. So yeah, it was an uphill battle at first, but what we managed to achieve in a short space of time led me to be stood in front of the minister, in the media, winning awards for my culture-based programs, um, which more importantly, more than any success, was that people were feeling okay to speak up. And we're using the mental health line. We made lots of community partnerships, actually raised money to get a full-time mental health worker on the project, which changed everything. But as a female in an industry where you're disrupting and creating change, not everyone appreciates mm. what I was doing. And that was um, my HR manager, who actually arrived six months after, after I started but came in seamlessly and had his own agenda. And one of them was that women don't belong in the workplace, let alone a strong, confident female that's having her voice heard and is highly respected. So the more successful I became, the more I suffered bullying and harassment for a prolonged period of time. So can you, so here's something really interesting. I've worked in the corporate space before and I have um, bared witness to, not personally, um, but being responsible for people who have been bullied by senior management and so forth. Yeah. So for those that may not know that they're being bullied, because sometimes it can be very um, culturally driven and, and sometimes it can be the norm. Yeah. Right? So what are some of the, are you able to share some of the things that were going on yeah. for you some of the specifics around this bullying, some of the tactics that were being used. Yeah, so if we think about bullying, it's repeated and intentional health-harming behaviour that another person inflicts on another with the intent to damage a person's psychological or physical well-being. So I guess people don't really know, in the work that I do in particular, people don't know what bullying is and what bullying isn't. So it's often passed off as this is leadership style or his mannerism or her mannerism or it's just the way they operate. And often bullies actually tell themselves that, it's just, my, it's just the way I operate. So for me as a young, young girl in this environment that had run bullying workshops and youth facilities, managed teams of staff, it, even me as a person who I believe I am socially and emotionally intelligent, even me, um, there was a part of me that was in denial. I didn't want to admit that I was being bullied for a long time because it was um, demoralizing and actually painful. We, we tried to default away from the pain. And um, so look, some of the things that started to happen were um, subtle, very subtle behavior, which we see all the time in organizations. So it was the backhanded comments about appearance. So I guess my world fell apart the day he called me into the office and um, said, you know, I've kind of been watching your approach um, there's obviously a um, underlying reason why people trust and respect you, you know, insinuating, am I sleeping with people, um, saying that I'm coming across as easy, I'm too compassionate, and um, people will always take advantage of me in life. You need to behave in a certain way, which is, which, like, his leadership style or the way he believed he run his management team was based on fear. So threatening people with job loss, and that was his power and control. So he tried to um, change the way I operated, which was com completely um, against my, my internal mechanism. 
Can you make face books? Go over there and flutter your eyelashes. Um, sniggering under his breath, saying like one day, which was very horrific, a, a gentleman came in, grown, big grown scaffold in tears because his mum was sick and he needed to get home. So as any decent human being, I believe, you know, sat down, comforted them, got a glass of water, said we would do everything in our power to make sure he could get home. And as that person left the office, he clapped in an open plan office and said, could you have thrown yourself down desperately anymore? So it started with the humiliation where you start to question your own, your own personal stance. Um, so very subtle. And then the sabotage of the work started to happen, um, saying that he set me tasks. Um, when I started to push back on the unethical behavior and the way that he was behaving, saying I, I'm not really comfortable to do that, that's when it, it, it would go up a notch. So the first year was kind of subtle behavior, sabotaging work. My workload was extremely unrealistic. As soon as I'd leave the office, he'd call me and say, why haven't you done this when he didn't ask? I'm an extremely confident individual. Um, so you start to question yourself. Um, he would humiliate me in meetings, um, make up that I was just unable to do my job. So what I did establish was there was a massive stigma with reported mental health and issues to HR particularly him. So I was now moving towards becoming a culture coordinator. So I was in an extremely hard position because my leadership team were coming to me with issues with the workforce and saying, don't tell him. So what he was doing is managing people out of the business or threatening them with job loss. So everything I was creating, he was trying to unravel. So yeah, um, which eventually led to over time, progressively getting worse to the physical throwing file at me, um, hitting me with a file, to ringing me at night, threatening me, using the C word, calling me every name under the sun if I didn't give him the confidential names of people that were using mental health services. So, um, and obviously for me, I was on visa. So he would particularly use this as a power and control strategy to make comments about maybe I would be deported if immigration knew what I was really doing. So kind of all of these psychological mind games that were playing with my emotion and mindset, which over time created extreme anxiety, uh, PTSD. So at night, I would have nightmares or retrace my steps thinking, did I do this? Did Were all my ducks in line, basically? And made to believe if someone did end their life, it would be my fault because I opened the can of worms of mental health. Okay. So over time, I progressively started to not know myself. And looking back now, it was the fight or flight consistently uptight when you nudge my desk. I was I told by one of my other managers, be careful what what you're emailing because he's watching your emails and your phone. So all of this, where you think I'm actually not doing anything wrong, I'm just trying to save lives. It was really hard to understand for a long period of time that this was happening. Because particularly in, in a male-dominated environment and industry, it was toughen up princess. This is the construction industry. And we lost a lot of good people who left the workforce. But also, um, yeah, it, it was, I reported it 32 times to upper management, which was wow. documented heavily. And I was the false promises. And me being an optimistic person, I guess I was hoping that they would do the right thing. So I'm trying to coach them through how dealing with a person in a power position with HR that was very, very um, resourceful 
and how he collected information on others to make sure that he always held the power and control even over the senior senior rest people in the organization so very hard very hard and you'd begin to second guessing guess yourself as well especially when you've got people around you saying oh be careful what you email be careful who you're calling um and then you know at home having to run through your day again to say well did i do something that couldn't you know make this all come undone yeah massively so what did you do to end up resolving it because this how long first of all how long did it go on for and what was the how did it resolve or did it resolve um the resolve was the point where i ended up in a hospital bed so in june 2017 i collapsed at work so if we think about my bullying over three and a half years there were times when it was heightened and it was unbearable and there were times when he may have had a warning or backed off slightly but i guess what people don't understand when, you, when you're in a toxic relationship or environment is that that person is always waiting for the next hit. So he would back off, back off, and I would feel really start to build you know, a bit of momentum again, and then he would come in with a hook that would floor me. <laughs> um, so I, we went through, and I've written a book on this, it's called The Bullyologist, if anyone wants more information. Um, but yeah, we looked we into investigation. Eventually, I was lucky enough that I documented this for three and a half years. Um, so when we finally went to investigation, I actually um, see one of the cleaners crying and him intimidating her. And I thought, right, enough is enough. This has happened to me, I believe, as a strong, confident person to actually stand up for what is right. So I, I went through a horrific um, investigation in the workplace where people were fearful, people stopped speaking to me because they were actually frightened. Um, of, of getting involved and um, yeah so the investigation outcome was yes he's done this um, 13 of my claims were sustained which evidence you know and they were the more serious where he was throwing stuff that kind of the gender discrimination etc but my organization made the decision to keep him because the CEO told me off the record that we actually didn't want to make an enemy of, of him um, me being the person I am at the time, young and naive, I said, look, I just want that person, the bully, to get the help they need. Um, I know that they've got a family that they're probably particularly not very nice to, so the job loss may heighten his anger. So please support him and give him the coaching and mentoring he needs. Because, of course, the bully then was claiming he's under stress and pressure and was trying to create other information that I was doing to him, etc. But yeah, even after the investigation and he got removed from the workforce and taken to Perth, so, you know, four and a half hour flight away from Darwin, every time I was going on leave or my week off, because we worked four weeks on every fifth week off, he would come back for a meeting and start to kind of um, threaten people. So people become fearful. So people often think that when the bullying stops, you can just heal and get on with your life. But even hearing that person's name would trigger me send me into a whole night of sleepless despair. Um, so in June 2017, I remember coming into work and seeing an email that he was coming back. With one extra work, we'll try and keep you apart if he does return to the project. I just remember looking at my colleague's face and then going, you promised us protection, you're the culture coordinator, if you can't protect us. So then the guilt stacked in and I stayed awake all night. I felt so unwell. And I got to work that morning and I was keeled over in pain. Um, and they thought my appendix had ruptured, so I ended up in a Darwin hospital bed. And it was that point that I went, 
holy hair, I'm a young female, on the other side of the world, friends and family, trying to save a company that cannot even save themselves, and now I'm physically in a hospital bed. So that was kind of the moment when I, I realized enough is enough. But again, I still had a lot of guilt where people would say to me, if you leave, someone could end their life because you're the only person that is a champion for the people. So I'd always had this internal battle with putting my own happiness aside to serve the people. But unfortunately, the psychological and emotional effects of sustained abuse show up physically. And when I look at back, because I documented it for three and a half years, now, I had a long list of physical stuff, which was ache pains, headache, neck cramp, pains, gut health, where my body was under constant fight or flight and stress response. But eventually it just went, <laughs> enough's enough, and I collapsed. So at that, that point, I left. But, you know, there was, there was rumors I went back to the UK because I had female issues. And I guess I, I felt like I still had to be strong. So I quietly left through the back door. Um, which was unfortunate considering I'd given three and a half years of my life away from home to make these people my family. And yeah, I was just ushered out the back way and silence. Wow. So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of wisdom and advice you can give to people at different levels here. So there's the people that are listening that potentially are listening to you and going, I think I'm being bullied. So some yeah. steps for them. Then we have potentially somebody who, is a bully and needs help could potentially be listening. We don't know, but then there's also the organizations. Um, so their stance on it. So can we, can you help us walk us through a little bit around uh, somebody who's listening to your story and going, Oh, actually, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm having these physical symptoms. Um, people are, you know, there are things going on at work. I haven't really realized it's bullying. What sort of advice would you have or recommendations for people who yeah. are listening and going, oh, that's what's happening to me? Yeah. Um, so with regards to the person or people, I think that we make a common mistake with regards to bullying. It's one of those things, if it's not happening to me, well, I don't really care about it. A bit like domestic violence as an example. People don't understand how toxic bullying is, particularly in the workplace. It's tough enough, this is the work environment. But when we look at domestic violence, you know, if you hear someone suffering domestic violence, of course, people rush to help them, and rightly so. And it's pretty similar. You know, the long-term sustained abuse in a toxic relationship damages a person often beyond repair, particularly with PTSD. A lot of people I speak to are unable to return to the workplace. Um, so what I've developed is my five steps to survive and thrive workplace bullying. These are some of the strategies I implemented into my survival. So the first one is document. Document fact over emotion. I made the common mistake of being very emotional um, in my response. If we think about typical business leaders, um, not all of them are kind and compassionate. So they, they look at the top line. So when you start to document factual, let's say name, date, time, witnesses, and the impact that's having on your productivity and team productivity, um, that's when you know you start. To, that's when I started to get taken seriously. So document it factual over emotion, but also for your own personal sanity. Journal at night, documenting your phone notes, how you're feeling. Because when I look at my journals, I, I've grown so much. And it's trying to find the positive learning in the suffering. I know that's easier said than done. If someone had said that to me when I was suffering, I would have thought they were crazy. But I come out the other side as a better person because of that bullying. 
and that's looking at my journals. Um, the second one is protect yourself. So try to um, not have one-on-one -on -one engagements with the bully if possible. Um, it was often uh, the worst bullying was when I was alone with this person and they were over me with their fists clenched. So try to protect yourself. Um, have a word with your colleague, get them to back you up. And um, the other one is, um, so we've got document, protect, observe. Observe from a third party perspective. When you take the mentality of observing the situation from outside the situation, pretty similar to big brothers watching. So every interaction I would have with my bully, I would kind of look at it from a third party and look at my personal response. Was I coming from a place where I was then triggering the bully? Because there was often times I'd cry and I'd shout back, or you don't know how you're going to do it. When I actually started to observe my own behavior, that's when the interaction changed. And that really helped with documenting it as well. Um, so you've got document, protect, observe, and um, research. So it's an isolating, lonely place. Particularly for me, when I was in mine, I didn't want to go outside of the organization because I was fearful I'd have my visa canceled. When I actually started to research where to get help, this could be um, WorkSafe, Royal, um, like Royal Commission, Fair Work. So actually, if you look on the Bullyology website, I've made a, um, a resource center of helpful helplines that when you are at a critical point, you can get help. So research where to get help but also research where to heal. I found local meditation groups, support groups, and bullying victim groups that really helped me understand what was happening. I'm still good friends now that I've actually found people that helped me heal. So for me, meditation, mindfulness, holistic healing, that was what made me resilient. When people say, how did you stay for three and a half years without breaking down? It was because I found meditation, you know, Reiki, healing, essential oils, crystals, Whatever works for you, research where to heal and find something that can help you survive and thrive. And the last one is, the fifth one is upstander. So don't be a silent bystander. So anyone listen, listening to this right now, please be mindful that almost half of Australians will suffer bullying at least once in their working career. So if it's not you and you haven't suffered it so far, there's a high percentage chance that you might without being too um, grim. But also... For me, my family and friends didn't know how to deal with bullying. They didn't know what advice to give me because they were reluctant, because they didn't understand. So rather than being a bystander, how do you be an understander? So get resourceful, learn about bullying. And actually, a simple thing by understanding bullying could be when one of my colleagues said, acknowledge that what was happening wasn't okay. And that was when it really, my world changed because I, I knew it wasn't about me. And another colleague said, maybe you should go to the, the policy, um, the workplace policies online on the internet and actually highlight where the policies are breached and there you can get information. So when you are suffering bullying, your head is so full of bullying. It's not like it finishes at the end of the work. You go home and you just kind of you procrastinate over and over. So be an upstander. Um, so yeah, so it's document, protect, observe, research and be an upstander. And all of these are available on the Bullyology website. And there's a free downloadable book um, that takes you through the five steps. And I've also got an online course on that with more activities and downloadable resources.
Awesome. So yeah, they're the fundamental things that help save me. <laughs> awesome. So one of the things I just wanted to clarify with you, one of the things you said was when you get to a critical stage, I think start researching. Um, is it a critical stage or is it something, could you start doing it when you're at least starting to oh, feel like? Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, it was, I got to a critical stage before I actually realized I need help. But yeah, research now, look on my website, read my blogs, research what resources are out there and actually get knowledgeable now prior to anything happening or just I think it's just one of those things like mental health for example bullying I believe is where mental health was five ten years ago it's still the elephant in the room it's still swept under the carpet now we are starting to see well-being and mental health as a bit of an organization buzzword in some companies but actually organizations are realizing how important it is to invest in proactive measures in this space um, but we still have a long way to go. I still have an uphill battle. Um, but yeah, research now on what are some of the tools I can learn as an individual to build my knowledge and skill set. So when someone comes to me and it's highly likely that someone will, whether it's a colleague or a family member, you know and you, you're resourceful on what, how to help that person so they don't end up in a hospital bed like me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely brilliant advice there. Because one of the things that happens to us when we're in those states of stress and anxiety, we've got fear, worry, doubt, is we start a downward spiral. And our ability to think consciously and creatively and resourcefully can sometimes be switched off because we're now in that hyper-vigilant, focused survival mode. And even looking for research, yeah, even looking for research in the in the moment of that um, can be really difficult. Yeah. So if you can be proactive... Um, and at least yeah. you know this. And I think one of the things you mentioned there, which is really important is know about this, not just for yourself, if you are someone being bullied, but if you can see the signs of somebody else being bullied, how can you step up and help them? Because help yeah. other people is going to be a great, a great service um, if you have the tools and resources to help them get with yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's why I decided to launch my Upstand Academy and, and teach people the fundamentals of being an upstander, um, not just in bullying, but in general, right now, what we're going through in the world, you know, we need upstanders who are going to champion kindness and support people that may be going through difficult times. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's so important. So what are some of the things you have learned that you could share for people at an organizational sort of leadership level when somebody comes to them about bullying whether it be a HR department or whether it be a manager what are some of the things that you believe a worked for you and b maybe didn't work for you so what are some tips and tools for those people um so the common thing I see right now is organizations tend to only deal with bullying as a very reactive stance so a lot of people come to me saying oh my gosh you know I'm about to go through a big bullying um, claim Fair Work Commission splashed all over the media, brand and reputation damage, um, business leaders, CEOs are having sleepless nights because now they've waited for the toxic um, culture to unravel that one bad apple has now infected everyone. Um, so I really, really decided to found my business bullyology on the basis of why not move from being um, reactive to, um, to, to being proactive really. So why not put the steps and the foundations in now so we don't end up in, in that toxic culture where people are emotionally and psychologically damaged. So I guess it's an investment in time and energy at the front end. 
So address the elephant in the room before it becomes the elephant in the room. Look at some strategies and interventions. A lot of organizations I speak to, if you think about an, um, an induction package, people have a slight saying bullying and harassment will not be tolerated. I was the person who onboarded and inducted every person in my last organization. So I would say bullying and harassment will not be tolerated, yet step outside of that boardroom and training room and be bullied by the HR, the person directly responsible. And all of the senior leaders knew what was going on, didn't know how to manage it. So I guess it's super important to not only educate people, but practice what you preach, coach, train, and mentor people, but also senior um, middle management. So something I would see all the time, and I see it in every engagement I work with, often people are promoted um, from the shop floor or the tools or up through the ranks and not given the social, emotional, or kind of... Um, the skills to actually manage people, like particularly in the construction industry. I do, I do heaps of work in the construction industry. And the guy's super confident on the tools, but actually have no idea how to manage people. And this is in, across industry. And the money isn't invested in helping them not only manage people, but lead people, but also deal with other people's crap, I guess. And we're all going through our own personal issues. And when relationships break down, people have drug, alcohol, mental health, um, lots of addictions, etc. People are often plonked in a management position and told just to deal with it, but they, they just don't know how. So I guess um, bullying and harassment in particular, people just don't know how to deal with that. So what we've got is um, a, you know, a toolkit to understand what is a thriving workplace culture and what is a toxic and where to notice the signs of when it's starting to go wrong and actually support business leaders as well. I particularly work at a, at a high level capacity with business leaders and owners to help them trickle down the culture, but also from the ground up, the, the two-way communication approach. Um, so yeah, my message really, for what I've seen is early intervention and prevention is absolutely fundamental and key. key. And also business leaders don't actually understand the financial impacts of a toxic workplace culture. Um, presentism is a big one where when we actually get under the hood of an organization they think everything's plain and sailing we go in and do kind of, kind of a health check or a pulse check people are often sat at their desks or at the machine where they're numb about what's actually going on around them they're, they're kind of actually not focusing on the task ahead because they're just trying to avoid kind of being next in line to the bully so yeah there's, there's major financial impacts and, and personal impacts really to a toxic culture so education, 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 and awareness. I love that you say that. I, um, I'm in a similar industry around that education at that level of self-awareness, emotional intelligence. And I can remember delivering a workshop in the UK, in London. And I was talking to people around how, how their actions and their feelings and their thoughts and who they are, their attitude, how it affects other people, good, bad, or in between, and how it's extremely contagious. And, um, I won't go into the details of what I was teaching, but about a week afterwards, I get a, an email from one of the managers who was uh, in that workshop. And he e emailed me and he said, that was the best workshop I've ever done. He goes, I didn't realize how my attitude was actually affecting all the people around me. And he said, I got on the phone and I rang up and apologized to everyone I'd yelled at on the phone, everyone I'd hung up yeah. to on the phone, everyone that I'd I'd actually really, in a way, he was bullying, but he didn't know he was bullying. And I didn't use the term, yeah. but it was all around really helping people understand their attitude. So that 
that um, whole piece of wisdom from you around get in early and start training them when you're mm. taking somebody off the off the off the um, the work floor up into management, they generally won't yeah. have the people skills to do that. And how can you oh, then yeah. support them? So really yeah. great advice for for the leaders and organisations out there because they give them a lot of technical skills, but they forget about the EQ, the yeah. self awareness piece, and really how to increase their mental complexity to be able to serve others in a much better and a higher way. Yeah. So, yeah. So what? Yeah. I think just on that point, what you've said there is, you know, my work, I'm very passionate about supporting leaders who are also particularly known as bullies because they have unconscious bias and mechanisms that maybe that they've been so long in a position that, you know, just, just taking the punches every day, they actually have got whatever going on in their home life. And for me, I had a lot of my managers and senior leaders. And when I look back at why they didn't deal with my bullying, like some of them had personal issues going on. So I, I, I guess that who do they go to with their personal issues? Because they're at the top of the tree. So their behaviors then are impacting other people. And they're so unconscious of how their bias and behaviors are, are affecting people because they're in their own head. Yeah. And that often happens as well. So I think that that is such a key learning as well. Look, trying to get people out of their head. And, and, and a, a good question that I got asked the other day was, I was running a workshop and what are some of the big, big, biggest risks to culture? And the comment was millennials. I said, hmm, that's, that's, that's what, let's dig into that. How do we manage these millennials? And someone in the room, you know, came up with, well, how about you lead millennials? How are you going to manage yourself? To now be a leader that is adapting to you know new de- generation and that learning and that kind of bit of insight we unpacked that but that was kind of a unconscious bias of a leadership that would then be seen by bullies by let's use the word millennials or the younger staff because they didn't know how to communicate mm. now we've done a piece of work on communication and interaction remove the unconscious bias uh, and now you know we've got an operating organization that are thriving with, with just that unpacking the mentality. Um, so the person didn't set out to be a bully, but that's how they received because they didn't know how to communicate. Yeah, they didn't have the tools. But also I think you've touched on something also really important for leaders and managers that are finding themselves in a state where, okay, I'm managing or leading a group of people at work and then the wheels are falling off at home. And one of the things that uh, I'm really... I coach a lot of people that are executives and uh, leading large teams. And the very first thing we look at is their own mental well-being first, before we get into how they're going to lead anybody else. If you can't lead yourself and if you don't have the practices in place to look after your own mental well-being, well, then how can you turn up as a, you know, a leader in your family or a leader in the workforce. And, you know, just basic yeah. things like people not sleeping, people not moving, people not eating right. Um, you know, yeah. just those basic things, a lot of people don't do. Um, and then that, that then cascades on, doesn't it, to not being able to Completely think straight. Agree. Yeah. 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 And, you know, as we move to remote working, which now we've been skyrocketed into cultures of organizations, and people are, um, as probably you and I know, we usually deliver face-to-face, well, I do anyway. Um, and people are saying, oh, we need to park kind of culture training or and it's, you know, culture is more prevalent than ever because people are feeling more disconnected, isolated, and lonely 
working from home. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to create that proactive mindset shift as well. And as a leader, how are you? You're now trying to manage a room full of people that are no longer in a room. So, um, so yeah, it, it, we're in very, very interesting times where leadership will be, uh, will show up and how people react now um, will, you know, determine how they're seen in the future. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a question for you. So you've had this really interesting journey um, that's taken you from Wales to where you are now and in between, you know, having this bullying situation. And this is going to be probably a really hard question for you to answer. Through all of that, what do you think has been the greatest lesson for you? So if you were just to look back, take yourself yeah. up into that observation, what's the greatest lesson for you? That's actually a really um, easy question for Good. me. Um, yeah, so through me, the thing that I've realized is adversity is our greatest gift. And life is a roller coaster, and it's not always going to be plain roses and sweet smelling, and that's how we grow. So life really, for me, begins right at the end of, end of, end, edge of my comfort zone. So I always say adversity is, is my superpower, it's my fuel. So would I be doing what I'm doing now without suffering, you know, what I felt like hell and adversity? And for me, I've had a pretty stable upbringing in life. Um, and I went to my lowest low, you know, times where I felt like I was depressed. There wasn't times when I thought I needed to end it, but there was times where I think, how will I survive another day? And there was times when I write in my journal and I read that back and think, that's actually scary. I can't believe my mind went there. Um, but looking back now, would I go back and do it all again? Absolutely. I've learned so much about myself, about other people and humans. And one of the greatest things I learned was we can control the outcome of every situation. And finding meditation mindfulness and this whole holistic health and alternative med medicine, which I now you know, have dived into, I spent a lot of time with healers in Bali, etc. Would I have had the opportunity to heal and grow what I didn't need to heal and grow? Probably not. So, um, so yeah, like even now, business is up in the air. Um, if clients pull out, whatever, working for yourself, I always try to find the positive and the negative and think, okay, so what can I learn from this? Um, so, yeah, just kind of looking at adversity as a gift not always feeling like it's the best, but coming out the other side saying, you know, what have I learned? Yeah. And I think that becomes a muscle that you can develop over time is that yeah. finding, finding the gold or the gift in the adversity and the challenge. And you're right, right now we're recording this. It's the 23rd of March, you know, in, um, in about 40 minutes, the, all of Australia or Victoria where I live in businesses are closing down. And um, so there's a lot of adversity happening. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's how can you find how can you find the gold in that? How can you create and rise above it, um, which is can be really challenging. So yeah, it becomes a muscle, and the more you do it, the more you can find the good and find the gold. Like what you've done, it becomes something that you can rely on. So for you now, yes, you know the wheels are falling off, are falling off the business, but yeah. you're being able to pivot because you, you're looking for and finding the gold in it. You, you've trained yourself to do yeah. that. Yeah, and I, just for anyone listening, we are going through COVID-19. So if anyone <laughs> listens to this in the future, um, we are at a really interesting point as a business owner and, and anyone where we need to just think, okay, so the world is kind of feels like it's falling apart in the media and about us, but what can we control? And that's controlling the controllables, making sure that we stay fit, healthy and well and find the positive in isolation or lockdown 
maybe spending time with people like our loved ones that we don't actually connect on a deeper level with because we're all busy off to work and and just kind of yeah just in that mindset so I'm at the moment thinking okay how can I find peace in the suffering right now and, and enjoy what I've got and that's food on the table health well-being and, and the loving family I guess yeah beautiful and I think you've answered some of the questions that were sort of bubbling up as 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 we've been going along, but I just want to reiterate them so people can take away um, just some of these points that they may glaze over. So one of them is how, how are you able to, now that you've come through all of this and now we're, you know, heading into other sort of uncertain times, what are your practices to keep you centered and balanced? Now you have mentioned that yeah. if you could share what you do yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the first thing in the morning um, is, Every night, actually, my phone goes on flight mode. As a business owner, I am a sucker for answering emails and thinking, oh, I should have done this and that. It doesn't finish at 5 p.m. So I've now trained myself over time to flick my phone on flight mode at 8 p.m. And that's my downtime where I'm kind of always, my mind goes crazy. So yeah, I need to have downtime. So I wasn't typically watching any TV before, but now my fiance is like, right, we're watching TV. You need to turn your mind off. So that, that took a while to fall into, but just doing something that is just kind of relaxing where you can just go, ah, at the end of the day. And then each morning, making sure I get up and I do my morning routine. So that is um, typically going to the gym. I'm a 5.30, 6 a.m. riser. Starting to get later now. I don't have appointments, which I'm slipping into. But look, doing this time, it's probably not easy to get up and go to the gym or whatever. But I'm making sure that I'm doing my stretches, my morning exercise, my yoga, my gym, whatever it is for that day. And also my mindfulness. I'm very privileged that I live by Coogee Beach in Sydney. So I'm able to go down to my gym's opposite. After the gym, I do 30 minutes of hip, move my body. And then I sit down and I look at the sea and I do my reflections. So what am I grateful for? Simple things, food, water, coffee. And then my treat is my coffee. So when I've done my morning routine and rituals, I, I, I treat myself with a coffee. Um, but then I write down, so at the end of the, this day, in a world where I could be doing everything and making myself busy, what are three key things that if I achieve this day that I can go to bed tonight and say, I've achieved a lot. Because I'm always trying to create things out of nothing. <laughs> and then beating myself up if I haven't achieved that. It's not like I can just go into the office and look busy all day. So when you work for yourself, as you know, you need to kind of have structured routines and habits. Um, so yeah, look, I set myself up. Usually my calls um, are up in the morning. I do do podcasting as well and a couple of inter interviews. But I have to set myself a lunch. Um, otherwise, I my my eating's out of the way. I'll get to three o'clock and I go, oh, I'm starving, and then I'm just so yeah, structured routine: breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I kind of have to calendar and remind myself. And then the afternoon, I'm kind of working away, going to meetings. Um, but of an evening, then I just make sure the only thing I do of an evening is make sure that I eat my dinner and actually connect with my fiance. Because in a world of technology. We can be on our phones. He doesn't look at his phone all day. So sometimes he wants to get back on social media. So we've actually made this time our ritual that we can actually talk about our day. And I'm also sometimes a bit like a Yorkshire Terrier. So he's been talking to people at work all day. And if I've been working at home, he could be the first person I've seen after seeing someone in a gym class. So I'm like, blah, 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 blah. so we, we've kind of worked out, okay, so can you give me an hour where I can debrief my day and talk to you? Um, so yeah, and I guess then we're straight back to the evening where I also write in my gratitude diary 
what I'm grateful for throughout that day. So I try to start with a grateful heart and finish with a grateful heart and all the other stuff kind of falls away. Yeah, lovely, lovely. And um, for those who don't have practices, you might want to experiment with some of Jessica's and see if any of those work for you and create your own because, you know, this is your life and we're all, we're all unique, just like all the different, all the different uh, plants out there in the soil. They all need different, uh, different, different minerals, different amounts of water to survive and human beings are the same. So find what works for you. So as we finish up, Jessica, what sort of advice do you have for our listeners? And it could be around what, you're, what you specialise in or, or what we're going through now with uh, COVID-19. So what would, what would be your advice uh, as, we, um, as we round out today's podcast? Yeah. Um, so look, everything that we're going through, adversity, like my three fundamental things were, would be notice. Notice what's going on around you. Be kind of emotionally intelligent, check in with people. Maybe it's your neighbour right now. I've got my neighbours in a group WhatsApp group. Just notice how people are feeling around you. Don't be selfish. Don't be hoarding uh, shopping groceries or whatever. But in the workplace, notice your colleagues. Have a reach out to them. Um, number two would be speak up. If you see something that is going on um, that isn't quite right, please have the confidence to speak up. And be an upstander. That's, that's my third one. Stand up and notice what's going on. Get resourceful. Learn. And then I would just say the other thing is just be gracious and kind. In a world full of hate and negativity, you have the option to be kind. And people won't remember um, what, you know, what work you did or whatever. They'll remember how you were as a person, how you showed up. So just make a decision what type of person you want to be and just be that person. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with us and with our listeners. I really appreciate you with everything that's going on, being able to take the time and come and have a chat with us. So thank you so much. And um, I no look forward to hearing how it all unfolds for you in, as the future unfolds in what we, we don't know, but I'm sure you'll create something thank you. out of it. And also, would you, um, if people want to find out more about me, just search the bullyologist or bullyology and you'll see my name. Um, and yeah, reach out. I love feedback and connecting with people, the power of community. Thank you. That's one question I normally ask at the end and I totally forgot how can people contact you. So thank you so much for mentioning yeah. that. Thank you, Jessica. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs>